Welcome to the Tony Awards. Tony with an I. The podcast where we go through the entire filmography of Tony Collette. I'm Sam. And I'm Jake. And before we start this episode, I just want to do a real quick trigger warning. Something that I did not know about the movie we're covering today, Lillian's Story, is that it does contain a very graphic rape scene uh, and then an attempted suicide scene that gets pretty bloody. And we're going to talk about that over the course of this podcast. So if you're not in a space to hear about those kinds of things, maybe don't listen to this. Okay, okay, now that that's done, uh, I want to introduce you to our very special guest, Mr. Wander Boches. Hey, what's up? How are you doing, Wander? Hey, Wander. Doing great. How are you guys doing? Doing pretty great. Pretty good. So what's your history with Tony Collette? Um, you know, the first time that I saw her in a film, I think it was um, that show she did, The United States of Tara. Um, yes. Yeah, like I was taking like a Psych 201 course, mm-hmm. and the professor was like, yeah, you got to check out this show. Oh, and I'll give you like extra credit if you write like a summary about it or something. So, oh my god, oh, I really enjoyed it. It was a great show, and like it was really cool how she got to play so many different characters in it. So it was a good time. That yeah. was my introduction to her as well no because of Sam. Huh. Um, that's so interesting because I remember taking a psych one hundred and one course in college, where our teacher told us that uh, dissociative identity disorder, which is what she has in that show, isn't real. And this girl raised her hand and was like, but have you ever seen a show called United States of Terra? <laughs> and the professor was like, that's a very good show, but it's also fiction. Yeah, I know. Apparently, it's a huge controversy yeah, in like, right. this like, world. They're like, oh, is I this real? Is it not? People do have like alters, though. Like That's real. But to the extent that they behave the way that her character does on the show. I've heard even like... from people who uh, say that they have it on Tumblr that the show is like very... Dramatic. Uh, Dra- dramatized. Dramatized, heightened. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very heightened. Heightened would be the word, which makes sense for a television show. Of but, course. Uh, today, we are talking about Lillian's story, which also has ties to the mental health world. Uh, uh, which is a theme recurring in Tony Collette's body of work. Exactly. Uh, and it gets better as it goes on. <laughs> uh, the body of work, I mean, not the movie. The movie gets worse as it goes on. But anyway. Yeah. This movie uh, is based on a novel by Kate Grenville, Mm -hmm. who was inspired loosely by the life of B. Miles, a woman who was sent to an asylum by her father, basically for being too heavy metal. Um, She was very rebellious, and she was kind of a bohemian, and her father... But it also, like... she recite Shakespeare on the street? Yeah, she would recite Shakespeare on the street. But also, it seemed like, from what little information there is about her on the internet, that... She was having issues that probably were, she probably did have a mental illness of some kind because Uh she would go off and like live in caves and like assault taxi drivers and stuff, which it it doesn't sound like uh, she was sent to the asylum just for being a cool girl. Uh, But at this moment in time, in the history of Australia in particular. What What was the year of it, of her life? Well. Okay, this is where the connection to the movie gets a little bit confusing because the woman who this was based on, she would have been sent to the asylum in the 1920s, which is right when Australia had started seeing asylum patients as patients rather than prisoners. Asylum Uh, used to basically be like a jail in essence. 
uh like doc- Sweeney Todd type thing. Yeah, it's like Sweeney Todd. They just stick the like crazy people or even non crazy people, just like women with a voice into a room uh, and just leave them to themselves. Mm-hmm. Doctors only started to be used in mental wards in the 1880s in Australia. Uh, in 1843, the Lunacy Act said that asylums had to treat mental patients as people with a condition, not people who were inherently bad. At the time that uh, B. Miles was sent to the asylum, lobotomies were still a thing. Doctors were experimenting on patients until like 1948 was the latest that I saw it being used. And all this information I'm getting from an article called The Evolution and Devolution of Mental Health Services in Australia by Lila P. Verklevsky on Inquiries Journal. But that being said, the timeline of this movie in particular is very nonspecific, and there are very many plot points that veer away from B. Miles' life, allegedly from the novel's plot or sensibilities, which I can't speak to you because I haven't read it, Mm -hmm. but... That's just what I'm going to say to begin. Uh, The general plot of this movie is it's about a girl named Lillian Singer who has just been released from the asylum after having been put there by her father in her youth Mm -hmm. in, I want to say she was like 19 or 20. It seemed like it would have been, yeah, like the 50s or 60s. Yeah. Because if the movie feels very like present day 90s and she was like probably around... 60 or so yeah yeah she did say that she was in the asylum for 40 40 years so yeah yeah Yeah. so it's uh it's one of those things where i don't think that asylums operated in the way that we currently know them which would be mental health facilities would be the Uh term you know they weren't anything like that for a very very long time right so i think that it can be argued that um Her father sending her to this facility in the movie was akin to sending her to jail. Right. And it was very much. Yeah, that vibe. The the guy, like the the very beginning of the movie, you see like this person who works at the asylum. He's being a real dick. So very orange is the new black. Oh, yeah. Total dick. Um, So we wanted to start talking at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Um, That first scene is so insane. I had no idea what to expect from the rest of the movie. Oh, I loved it. So she's, um, what's the name of the actress who plays Lillian? Oh my God. It's, I'm look it up I, I, I knew it. It's something cracknell. She, uh, yes. Hold on. It's, she's, first of all, she's amazing. She's incredible. She had been a Shakespearean actress yes. for years before working on this movie, which really shows. And, uh, yeah, Tony Collette plays young Lillian in flashbacks. Yeah. Um, but the yes, it's uh, Kate. Ruth. Ruth Cracknell. Ruth Cracknell. She Cracknell. literally is walking through, like, I guess the cafeteria, I want to say, of this yeah. asylum. And she's just putting flowers on the tables and she's doing a soliloquy of Shakespeare. What I really like is that the movie opens with her eyes just being covered by, like, because it, it's a shot through a window. Oh, yeah. And yeah. her eyes are getting covered by this, like, piece of wood. I don't know, it felt very poetic, and I feel like that's kind of a theme through the entire film. Definitely. It felt like a very poetic piece of art, which I thought was cool. Yeah, I thought it was very, very well-directed. Um, yeah. And I really like how the the sort of the shot of her doing the opening monologue kind of pulls out so that you slowly begin to recognize it as more or less a pretty drab setting, given uh-huh. the fact that she's performing this like elaborate 
theatrical masterpiece, essentially. And then there's a hard cut to that same setting later, and it's just a bunch of people, like, talking, Mm -hmm. and it's very casual, which kind of reflects how, in a way, like, she's too intelligent to be in that world. Oh, yeah. She's, like, above it, in a way. Not in, like, a... Not in a she thinks she's so above it way but she truly is she's too high functioning for that ward and later Uh shows herself to be too low functioning for the outside world exactly because she's been away for so long oh yeah so at the beginning we find out that she is getting released um she's made friends with all these these women who are there and they're all they all have different problems but they love her and they make her do like this final performance for them and it's very I was already, like, moved by that. I was like, holy shit. Like, they just, like, she made them love Shakespeare. And I'm like, this movie is already too sad. It was fantastic. Um, yeah. But then they, like, why why was she finally released? Because her father was still alive. So I'm just wondering, yeah, like. Yeah, I think that her brother got her out, which oh I don't. Oh, my God. I, yeah, I don't know how that yeah, no, worked. I never really mentioned why she got out. No, but, um, but I mean, I guess yeah. it doesn't necessarily matter yeah it also um, doesn't seem like she's too too surprised to be out no. so maybe it had like been in the works for maybe. a while and her yeah that aunt too who's super relevant but weirdly never like a part of the flashback plot line so yeah. the aunt felt very disconnected from the aunt felt super similar to her mother in the sense that they're always mm. like talking in this sort of stepford wife voice right and talking about things that are pretty superficial um yeah i th- I thought the aunt was the mom at first like oh, me right. too definitely her mom and then um yeah and then at one point there's this line thrown in there like all right bye aunt and you're like oh, okay <laughs> cool oh i know and then she doesn't come back in the movie for like literally 70 minutes yep. yeah but um the first note i took was the line from the character jewel when she stops the car before like on her way out she stops the car and she's this younger woman and she just goes like i'm not a lunatic i'm a blessed virgin i don't know i wrote that down she thinks she's gonna her whole thing is that she thinks she's the next mary mother of jesus yeah which is a real like i i was pretty impressed by uh that's one of the most common delusions um in people with psychotic disorders oh i'm sure i mean it's such a like I mean, whether you believe it or not, it's a once in a whatever. Oh, yeah. Thing. And it's also and one of those things that in everything that I've read about psychosis, and I say read really what I mean is watching those YouTube videos of Anna Campbell, like demystifying mental illnesses. Uh, that's always like the example that gets brought up. It's like a, like a psychotic person will think of, will have a fixed false belief uh, that's a delusion. For example, uh-huh. somebody may think that they're pregnant with Jesus. And I was like, oh, that's like the textbook. Right. And she, like, reads palms. Yeah. That doesn't have anything to do with (laughs) anything else. (laughs) Um, And then we meet her her aunt and her brother. And her brother is a returning actor from Cosi Fantute. Really? He's he's Roy. He's Roy? Did you not recognize the voice? I did not recognize him at all. I'm raw. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's literally, he was, like, the lead of movie two movies back that we did. Um, there's like yeah. three Australian actors. Uh, what did we all think of the brother as a character? Uh, at the very beginning, I liked him uh, when he was like, "Yeah, I'm really into insurance, and I'm a yeah. great tuba player now." I was like, "Sick, dude!" I could tell. Well, that was back when I like I didn't from the first like ten minutes. I didn't think the movie was a comedy. 
per se, but I didn't know what it was going to be. I went in with zero research, you know, and like the, you know, covers have been misleading so far. So (laughs) I mean, the posters. Yeah. So um, I didn't really know. I didn't think it was a comedy, but I didn't think it was like a bleak tragedy. And also based on, to be fair, based on Ruth Cracknell's performance, like she never really like she's never really phased, which I think is interesting. Like she is, she Mm -hmm. has some moments where she's upset, but like they put most of the emotional labor on Tony because of the backstory. And I feel like through most of the movie, yes, she had moments of like grief and despair, but she mostly handled herself pretty well in most situations. Maybe I forgot a few of them, but do you know what I'm saying? That's a really good point. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that through a lot of the movie, like present day, uh, Lydian is is definitely just dissociating and like far away from her past. Right. She's very like, well, and she uses Shakespeare as that major tool. And she also can't get it taken away from her because she literally knows all the texts of Shakespeare. Like she'll like, so throughout the movie, she like breaks into sonnets and, and speeches from Shakespeare like, Oh, more than 10 times. I don't even know. It's like a major plot point, a major (laughs) vehicle for like almost every scene, but it never really feels like redundant. That's a really good uh, way to put it that you just said that she's dissociating. Mm. She's using these texts as a way to separate herself from the situation because it does sort of, it it does seem like she's handling herself well, Mm -hmm. but in a way I think that that's because she's, removing herself oh, totally. from any situation. Yeah. yeah, I'm not saying she's not going through it. I'm just saying that it's You're not as saying far as like the acting goes. As a matter of fact, it's unhealthy that she's not phased by any of this. Right, is right. What you're and we're seeing why because we're seeing Tony act out the reasons for this present day yeah. um, thing. Um, yeah. T- Tony's first appearance in the flashback was great because she just put her head in a window and said, what happens when a gale becomes a woman? Classic Tony. <laughs> to her mom. Asking questions that matter. Literally, I was so happy to see her. And I didn't think she was going to be a big part of it at all for a while. Oh, I thought that she was going to be a much bigger part. Because well, she like won an award or something. Her major thing is, of course, at the end. But like, yeah. she's only sporadically like in very short scenes. Up, that, up that, until. that first scene with Tony is just so sad. Because mm-hmm. she's like, what happens when you become a woman? And then her mom's just like, Things change, and then she's just, and then Tony smiles, but like the mom looks so freaking sad. That's because like, she's married to a literal monster. Yeah, no, who it's... incarcerates her as well. Yeah. Yeah, for being a free thinking woman. Yeah, my next note is this is so sad. Um, <laughs> with no, uh, no context. <laughs> my next note is I've had enough of this sepia tone. Oh my god, the flashbacks are all at this weird yellow filter. I did not like it. It's probably like but Valencia. Then, yeah, it's literally they Amaro. put it through Valencia. Um, no, no, it's very <laughs> put it through all of them. What is that called? <laughs> what are those uh, photos called on Instagram where it's like a, a baked photo or something? I have no idea. Uh, it, feel, it feels like the saturation was just put on like... A burnt fo- photo. Yeah, just like yeah. 100% saturation. There are a couple moments in present day scenes... Um, particularly when she's stalking that guy from the bank. Oh, my God. That the tone goes back into that sepia, and that sort of made me think, like, oh, is sepia supposed to represent, uh, like, the good old days? But then the sepia tone stays consistent throughout 
all of the horrible things that happen in the latter half of the flashbacks. You, so that seemed inconsistent. Did it? Was it there at the end? It was. It, yeah. it was. It was during the car, like the very I end. I don't know if it actually was when she was on the beach. I think I remember oh. it looking kind of different. It might have been completely desaturated. Right. Right when she Which is very when she attempts suicide. Yeah, and then when she's fully, at that at that fully moment, nude yeah. walking through the town. At that moment it's not saturated. Oh my god. It's uh, not saturated at all. Okay. It's, yeah, but it's we'll get to that scene. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Um but I want to real quick talk about the <laughs> It was kind of funny. I mean, of course it's sad, but like I love her commitment to this Shakespeare just like scenes when she's on the bus. And she's also like oh, I, I will that. point out in a gayborhood. Because there's a lot of LGBTQ <laughs> people who are visibly uncomfortable from her on the train. There's this amazing, like, Asian trans woman who just, like, reports her yeah. to the police. She's that, uh, <laughs> she's that straight woman at the gay bar that they wrote all those think pieces about. <laughs> no, but she just keeps doing And then she gets in the cab and she meets this really weird cab driver who, like, starts talking to her in another language. Oh, my God. And it's not even F.J. Stroud. No. Her, like, lover from the years, oh. from the days of yore. F.J. Stroud. It, it, it's a different guy. And they so. just have a full-on conversation. He's like, where are you going? <laughs> so much so that when F.J. Stroud shows up, F.J.S., um, I was like, why does why is every cab driver in this town a genius? Yeah, I was kind of wondering, like, does she just imagine all these cab drivers oh. speaking Shakespeare back to her? Or does that actually happen? Um, I think it did actually happen to I us. think it does actually happen, yeah. Because I've you also... I've never tried it, to be fair. I might try it sometime. Because just... <laughs> you also see all the people, like, reacting badly to her, which there it's, are so many. Doesn't it switch? Because there's, there's moments where she's talking Shakespeare, and then was like, what the fuck's going on? Uh-huh. Like, this is nuts. And there's other moments where she's talking Shakespeare... There's like an entire crowd of people just around her being like, this is amazing. That's because that's when she's actually busking and it's not in a weird setting. I feel like obviously you're right. That is a weird distinction. But I think just like putting someone doing Shakespeare in a park somehow makes it way less weird than putting them in a cab with you. I think that that the thing that troubles me about – one of the things that troubles me about this movie is that I thought that it was well-directed, but I don't think it was well-written. No. So it's hard to... I would agree with I, that. I, I guess for me, being an asshole, it's hard for me to say, well, this was well-directed when there are such clear storytelling errors that are happening. Yeah. Um, like that first, like that scene we are just yeah. talking about with the, the cab driver that starts like starts talking Shakespeare like in mm-hmm. a foreign language, there were two people in the back of that cab. <laughs> well, I love that, though, actually, because they were just very was visibly uncomfortable, like uh, old white couple True. who were like... Probably American. Um. Yeah. Something that I will say that because I, I feel like I'm about to go so in on this movie and just absolutely decimate it. And we've been so negative on this podcast before that I don't want to <laughs> I don't want this to turn into like trashing Tony the True. podcast. No, absolutely not. We've also praised her highly each time. Yeah. But and it's not her fault that movies were written weirdly in the 90s. That's very true. And plus, you know, it's like when you're a working actress who hasn't been nominated for an Oscar yet, you, you have to take what's given to you. Exactly. Um, but something that I do like about this movie is something that I think has been a continuing trend through the movies up until this point it are these very lovable minor characters. Oh, yeah. That in sure. other movies would have just been placeholders. Uh, but in this movie, like when Jewel comes back, uh-huh. 
It's so much fun. Notably in I the Australian so ones. I was so excited. In the Australian ones, for only. sure. In, well, we've in, only seen one American one. but In, uh, in Kosi. Such a fun cast. Such a fun cast. And Muriel's also Wedding. Muriel's Wedding, yeah. So great. No, that's a good point. Spe- I know, on that note, I want to mention the friendly um, streetwalkers oh, that she makes them. friends with. Zara, who beats up the cabbie for her. Or, like, he, like, randomly pulls... This horrible other cab driver, <laughs> she keeps taking cabs, like pulls her out of the cab by her ear because she didn't have money to pay for him. And then Zara like throws money at him. And she's cool. And then she like, they like hang out and eat fish together. And then like she just leaves to go make out with someone in slow motion. Yeah, I really. Um, but I appreciated her. I like the. Um, the bit with her holding Jules' baby and whispering Astrica to her. Just, like, just begging her to be, like, better than those who came before her. Because that was her, her first word. Because it it's established that it was her Ugh. first word. And she's established to have been the smartest person in her family, yeah. having been held back solely by her father. But that baby was Jesus, so hopefully it worked. Yeah. And the, babe, and the fact <laughs> that the baby's a girl... And Jewel just goes, oh, goddess. <laughs> I can we? I want to talk about when she stalks the banker for a second. Let's do it. That what? was probably my favorite <laughs> subplot of this movie. What did you think about that, Wander? Well, I thought what was really weird was the first scene when they when she meets the banker, mm-hmm. right? Because her aunt is saying like, "Hey, this banker's gonna take care of you," and then the banker's like, "Yeah, I'll take care of you," and then he's like, "Yeah, come to this banker to ask anything," and the banker's like, "Anything." Like, the banger's just repeating it, but, mm-hmm. like, saying, like, it's a really chill echo. Uh, so she immediately falls in love with him. It's like, damn. Right. Right? Gets on a freaking boat with this guy. Because apparently there's, like, a ferry to the city they're in. Yeah. He freaks out and is like, yeah, this lady's definitely well, she following. And then she follows him. Yeah, she doesn't follow him to his house. No, she, she sleeps on the, the dock. Yeah, on the dock, yeah. Takes and a nap then, on the dock. On the I, thought the, I thought the banger was attractive. I'll say that. So, like, yeah. like I get it. He had a nice yeah, mustache. Yeah, I totally would follow him on a ferry <laughs> different strokes <laughs> different strokes for different folks uh, no but then when she's following him back the next morning she's like 10 feet away from him maybe just staring at him with her little beret I mean I think we've all had the moment she had where you're you're trying to talk to your crush because at the very beginning when she just first starts following him she like stands next to him and he's like she's like hey do you want to try walking on the water because uh, I'll hold your hand if you do. Oh, my God. And I think we've all had that moment where, I like, that we have a crush on someone, and we're like, hey, what's up? And then they just ignore you. They're like, no, I'm not talking to you right now. Do so. you like to walk on the water? <laughs> I'll hold your hand if you do. Uh, it was not great. And the way that he calls the cops on her, and they're like, um, you're here, you're harassing people? And she goes, I harass no members. I don't know. Oh, that was great. I write mostly quotes in my notes, and then I try to remember where they're from. <laughs> <laughs> spelled it like Harris. That was a beautiful moment, and then the and then the um, then the uh, bunch of the girls on the street help her out, which yeah. is nice. Then she meets F.J. Stroud. Well, reunites with F.J. Stroud. Yeah, which is a very sad storyline. Very line. sad storyline. Her lover from before, like almost immediately before, I think she was um, incarcerated. Yeah, I think that I keep reading like feminist manifestos into these movies that are not there but i do think that there's something to be said for i think the fact you can read a theory into anything if it's there that's true um and i think it's valid 
Okay, there's something to be said for the fact that when uh, they reunite at an older age, like the second time when he doesn't recognize her uh-huh. and he's just like, get away from me. Ugh, he only recognizes her once she cooks for him. And then he's like, oh, it's you. So it's like her identity as a woman is based on what she can provide for mm-hmm. him. Oh, snap. And then she sort of has these steps towards liberation. Like, the next day, he's like, why are you leaving? And it's like, first of all, like, because you have nothing to offer as a a partner, as a human being. Well, you know, they can talk Shakespeare together, but whatever. He was mean to her. And And she replies, I have to go. I might miss out on something. I was like, yeah. Yeah, just give him a little background. F.J. Strahd is just total babe. Oh, man that she meets. Oh, yeah. at the very beginning back of her time, life. Yeah. yeah, in the back of time. Uh, they get underneath like a boat, like a rowboat. Yeah. And they're just talking to Shakespeare to each other, but it's clear that they're about to make love. Oh, uh, but also I want a real quick shout out to her very free armpit hair in yes. that scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was liberating. And then, was the, liberating. And then Harry the Pitts Tony, Colette. Harry, Tony Harry Pitts Colette. Australian yeah. style so good but then like yeah her her dad her fucking evil dad finds I, them I have like 10 notes that are like before the end that say why is your her dad so fucking evil yeah because yeah. he kept getting worse but there was no character development to him at all like I'm not complaining because I didn't need it but like he was just purely a monster yeah and like pure monster characters I'm always just like what is going on like, if you're not going to be interesting to watch. It's just hard to watch. Yeah. That's, that's the problem. It. It's like, obviously, you know, it's kind of like a, honestly, he felt like a slasher villain. But even sometimes they have backstories. Definitely. But yeah, anyway, he like throws her, he makes her boyfriend leave. Then he throws her Shakespeare book in the ocean. Yeah. I was so mad. It was like an anchor to her love. And I was like, what? And her fucking crying. There she goes crying again. Tony Collette, master of crying. Beautiful. Beautiful. Beautiful crying. Yeah. Anyways, and she meets uh, Strahd again in a cab, uh, and they start reciting shapes to each other. Yes. And she's like, holy shit. But he's like an alcoholic cab driver. Yeah. She finds that out like right after. They, they get out of the cab, and he starts drinking. She's like, baby, come on. And then she beats up some cops while reciting Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful move. Fuck blue lives. She goes in to jail again well for the first time I guess yeah, for the first time. her brother bails her out but she sees oh my god she tells off her dad in the courtroom though that was very good which was very good oh my god and then he dies yeah thank god the dead dies right. for that he death. dies and I was like oh my god why didn't he die later well, that's where the brother is able to bail her out yeah because he got that daddy cash after that something that I appreciated about um her mooning him in the court oh is that in another movie Lillian would have been a minor character and she would have mooned her dad in the court and would have been like lol what's this crazy woman doing like lifting up her skirt but in this movie because she's the main character you know exactly why and it's like yeah that makes sense and it becomes right. a triumphant moment rather than a strictly comedic moment and it's because she was it was preceded by a montage of him always making her bend over so he could spank her with a belt yeah yeah yep. it was we knew exactly what it was so and he was lit. He was very 
unsettled by that, which I loved. Yeah. That was the last time we saw him in the present day. Yeah. I hope that he died in pain. Let's get into um, how much I hate that rape scene. So in um, a flashback near... Okay. This movie is fairly tame until like a minute, until like an hour and 10 minutes in. At which point there's an extended flashback scene where Tony Collette as young Lillian gets violently raped by her father Mm -hmm. and subsequently tries to kill herself. And we already, as I've said, thought knew he was the worst person of all time. We already had gone through kind of an arc and he'd already died. And then all of a sudden, like he'd abused her enough basically is what I thought. It was gratuitous. And it was gratuitous. This did not have to be the, climax it really did not and the the idea that like (sighs) i also just kind of hated the like the fact that it like showed her like fully naked like trying on all her mom's clothes blah 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 i guess that was supposedly his impetus but like it, it was like it made it even more just gross because the idea that he has a reason to rape her is right that disgusting. was disgusting yeah no that was disgusting and just the fact that she and i was, think that she we, was in such an intimate position for herself and that they put her in that position it was just it, it's like the scene was constructed to be as humiliating as yeah, possible exactly for her and then her brother comes in and then her brother comes in it's just like things on top of things on top of things and it doesn't add anything to the story no there's no reason for it i feel like if you're going to put in something that's that graphic like first of all if you need it to spark a reaction in the audience, then you just have a bad movie, and you should just learn how to make a good movie. Because there were really good emotional beats before that happened. The movie would have been completely fine without that scene. Mm-hmm. I would have walked away liking this movie were it not for that scene. But that just proved a, a sort of frame of mind on the part of the creators mm-hmm. that it, it's like... What I liked about Muriel's wedding was that it wasn't an exercise in humiliation for Tony Collette's character. Right. You're not just it, it you're you're not just building her up to knock her down. Mm-hmm. And while that process building someone up to knock them down can be funny in comedy, it's just cruel and sadistic to put yeah. in a drama and especially with with a fucking rape scene that goes on for, like, a long time. With many close-ups of Tony Collette, like, crying mm-hmm. and fighting him off. It's very, like, it, like, it never, like, he never takes his dick out. But it's, but it's emotionally violent. Because oh, yeah. all of the close-ups are on her face of her being afraid. Exactly. And it, it's like. On her brother being afraid. You know, it's all just like in, in her screaming for like five minutes and then immediately going to the beach, like. And killing her and trying to kill her. And then the dog is like licking the blood oh off of her wrists. I guess we just also like never saw things this graphic, like in commercial American film, like ever. And even until today, it's not like. I just don't. I was completely blindsided that this was even gonna be like the content of this. It's it, it's so one of those things where it's like 
the visual content. It's yeah, insane. because we we've seen more blood in movies mm -hmm. than this, but it's like in a movie like this where you're supposed to spend the entire film growing to identify uh -huh. with Lillian. Yeah, it it, it felt like a trick. It did. It did if, feel like a trick. Cause like it the, felt like a trick had been played on me as yeah. an audience member. Right before the rave scene, I think one of the most poetic and like liberating scenes within the entire film occur, right? Because Lydian goes into her father's office, uh -huh. finds his like dumb oh, yeah. book of facts, yeah. finds out he's been a fraud his entire life, goes upstairs like, hey, I'm going to try my mom's clothes on. It's really beautiful. You just see her like appreciating herself, appreciating her body, getting like this uh, appreciation for herself. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, she's masturbating, and then her dad comes in, rapes her. It's like, what the fuck? I couldn't even believe that's where they were going because it was so telegraphed. Yeah. Because was... I knew that it was coming because he was obviously going to come find her. Yeah. I thought he was going to come find her and, like, flip the fuck out. I didn't right. think that a rape scene I was like, occur. they're not going to do that. And then they did. Yeah. It was it's... it was lazy. It's like I could see the writer being like, <clears throat> okay, now what's the worst thing that could happen? As opposed to what would help progress the story and move mm -hmm. the story forward. And where it, it really, where that scene proves itself as a failure is in the simple fact that the movie ends 20 minutes later. Right. Like, you can't bring that up 20 minutes before the end because then it makes the end feel unearned. I when she's, yeah. like, talking to the store clerk and she's like, at least my life wasn't mediocre. And then she's like... I don't even remember the ending now because I was so mad. And then she, like, gets into, like, a taxi and she's talking about her own life in this almost sort of third-person way. And uh -huh. it's like she's at peace with all of it. And it's like, no, like... We just found out that you got raped by your father a little while right. ago. If it, like if the scene existed, it would have had to take place in within the in the first act. Yeah. Yeah. Because also, why are you killing her father 30 minutes before we find this out? Yeah. Like if anything, if you're really going to have this be the climax of the movie, have his heart attack or whatever happen right after we find out. You know what I mean? There was just the, there was just no resolution to that at all. And then like I I understand why she like walks through the town naked after, yeah. but it just felt exploitative because of how poorly handled right. the rape scene itself I mean, was. That... I think that there's a way to do that artistically and sensitively. Yeah. But it is the sort of thing where like if I were if I'd been like, I don't know, it, if I'd been approached for like notes on the script in the 90s, <laughs> well, I, like one. I, I, I would have been eight months old. <laughs> uh, and I would have said, you know, if the optics of having a woman get violently raped and then parading her around the town naked afterwards, you really have to be very deliberate with that and make sure that you're being very Sensitive. very yeah and it I felt think tony like performed it very beautifully tony performed it very beautifully and she clearly you know she the this is a running trend with tony collette as an actress that she elevates material a lot yeah i mean just the nude walk of whatever she it was just like she sold it way better than it should have been uh -huh. sold she gave that script 
so much more than oh, it deserved. Yeah. And I think it, but it was also a disservice for that scene being there is also a disservice, I think, to both her and for Ruth Cracknell because we never really see them merge as characters because they're both so different. Because yeah. Tony's constantly being humiliated, like you're saying, and then older Lillian is constantly just saying Shakespeare with no... I mean, she has the whole story with FJ, and like we didn't talk about this yet, but like he dies, and it's very sad and very moving, and then she gets, she helps Joel deliver the baby, and she's has all these emotional journeys, but we don't know about this backstory yet. And if that's going to be the big, like quote-unquote climax moment of the storyline i think it cheapens like all the other plot lines with current day lillian do you know what i'm saying like it makes i was like what am i supposed to feel like why it was all over the map yeah i feel like showing her at the very beginning and at the very end of her story made it very difficult to show any sort of progression and there was no um, similar of, story beats they weren't like comparing scenes in the past and present next to each other they were all yeah, so different they were except all so for, like, different the courtroom with her dad and and, stuff. and that kind of asks the audience to believe that she hadn't had any growth during those 40 years that she was in the right. asylum which would be interesting but it should be at least commented on yeah i don't know i liked so i guess in the long run i really liked the individual like subplots of the movie a lot and like the acting but none of it was really cohesive yeah and i think the idea is great yeah. i want to see this remade like correctly and without that rape scene yeah <laughs> uh, before we get on to awards, Wander, do you have any final thoughts, anything uh, that you had wanted to mention earlier? Yeah, I, mean, I think I'd, it, it definitely is a triggering film. I think that that's definitely the case of it all. Um, but I did find it very poetic. and I thought it was very, at least the cinematography and the acting of it all, I thought it was very beautiful and, and poetically done because I thought having the mix of Shakespeare and then having these real moments, the kind of like dissociation of the past and then showing the past and watching Lillian kind of deal with it. I thought it was beautiful, mm-hmm. but I also felt like I agree with what you guys are saying with, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to put a rape scene in a film uh, and if you're going to like comment on like suicide, it feels like you almost have to earn that for the story to work. And right. I think very few I think there are occasionally films that you see, they're like, okay, you earned to do this because you did it correctly and you showed the growth of it occurring afterwards. Um, and of course, I say that as a you know, white cis male that gets to you know, live with all that privilege. Um, but I, Thank you for your acknowledgement. But I think, I, I think it's something that you have to earn in a film, and I don't know if this film earned it. You want to give out some awards? Okay. Uh, so, here on the Tony Awards, uh, we each give out three awards to this movie at the end. No of, matter what we think of the movie. No matter what we thought. <laughs> we've got best prop, best Tony moment, and a custom award that we can design to our own specifications. So, let's go around and say what our best prop was. Uh, Wander, do you want to go first? Yeah. So, I, I, I kind of want to give uh, two prop awards uh, Ooh, okay my first one was this the random um tuba uh, at the very <laughs> beginning Fair. of the movie you loved the tuba you loved brother it. just pulls out a freaking tuba uh never brought up again that's true. um <laughs> but he just like hey, i love insurance and i love playing my tuba 
and then he just starts playing this beautiful note. Um, you know, while Lillian's just standing in front of a refrigerator, watching the water like fall out, and you're like, "Great, this is the movie I'm watching. Cool." Um, and then I guess the second favorite prop I had was the dad's book because it kind of showed him as a fraud, and I feel like that is just one victory that he had against this really evil character. I was like, "Yeah, he didn't do anything with that book. What a dingus! What a dingus!" Hell yeah. All right, uh, me? Yeah. My best prop is, is going to be her uh, cute beret she wore um, on the boat to stalk the banker. Um, I, I don't know. It was like whenever she's feeling lusty, she had this beret on, <laughs> walking down the street, some bangs peeking out. So yeah. I liked it. Uh, my best prop was womanhood. Because this was both written and directed by a man, of course. and it shows. Very much so. Uh, Jake, what was your best Tony moment? My best Tony moment? Okay, so obviously, we talked about how problematic this was, but I really do think her nude walk, for me... It was very well acted. Because, like, I saw the flaws, of course, <laughs> but I was like, she is literally... Like, she sold it. I hated it, and she sold it to me, because I was like, you know what you're doing, like, I'm fully with you in your journey, and, like, just the look she had on her face the whole time, it was very, it was very Tony. Second place, her liberated armpit hair. Third place, her first line. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My best Tony moment was when she delivers the the Cordelia monologue from King Lear on the beach to her dad. Right before he throws her Shakespeare oh into the ocean, I really liked that because it was um, it was a really nice marriage between the Shakespearean text and what was going on at that moment. They were having a very uh, Cordelia Lear. And was that the only time that young Tony actually recited? I think so. Yeah, mm. it's the uh, it's the monologue on the beach where she says like uh, she's like. I do everything that I should as a daughter. I love you, obey you, I honor you. Mm-hmm, and then he's yeah. like, fuck you, and yeah. throws away. Uh, she, she says it a few more times when she's with Strahd on the boat. Oh, yeah. But that is the most confrontational point that she You're cites right. Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think we've we, we've been in this scene with a, a dead horse, like a, like a dead horse, but I feel like my, my favorite Tony Clitta moment was when she was wearing her mom's clothes, when she was just feeling that liberalization. I felt that was a really beautiful moment. Yeah, she sold the fuck out of everything yeah. that was like poorly yeah. written. Yeah, definitely. Um, I thought it was a really beautiful scene that occurred uh, right before that that rape scene, which uh, is a bummer. But I really liked that 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 scene before. I thought it was beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then custom oh, custom tones. award. Yes, custom Tony. Uh, I said the Jesus Christ award for Lillian for only hanging out with. Um, like people in society who aren't really like she hung out with um, sex so workers, true. cab drivers. Um, she was her a lame Christ brother. Figure. She was a Christ figure. Homeless people. It was great. Yeah. So it's the Jesus Christ award. <laughs> <laughs> WWTCD. I mean Ruth Cracknell. Whatever. What's your Tony award? Uh, my Tony award is best word goes to Astrica, which I googled and it means starry or of the stars which is a very grand word for young Lillian to have had be her first word and something so 
endearing for her to be teaching to um, Jules' baby. What uh, about you, Wander? I gotta give an award for for costumes in this movie. Some great choices <laughs> there. Uh, first thing you see the brother. He's wearing like this sick officer uniform. Um, I don't know if insurance inspectors wear this kind of uniforms. <laughs> insurance inspectors. But he looked like he looked like a police officer. He looked very neat. Um, what was the name of that? Um, that uh, I think she was a prostitute or a star. Zara. Zara. Great outfit. Great outfit. Yeah. Great outfit. Uh, just just showing the bra right underneath her clothes. Very stylish. Very sexy. Good choice. Um, and uh, I think young Lillian is always wearing these great sundresses. True. Um, yeah. That I thought was great. So I think it's I think costume design really crushing this movie. Great. Great. All right, I wonder you have anything to plug. No, nothing to plug. All right, uh, we're going to put all of our Twitter and Instagram <laughs> handles in the show notes because I'm tired of having to spell them. And we're a little time. over time. We are a little over time. So. Meanwhile, follow our improv group, Tight Principles. Oh, we yeah. don't have social media. We but don't have us. social media, but if you follow all of us on Instagram and Twitter, then we will update you on uh, when we have shows. Okay, bye, everyone. I love you. Bye. Say it back. Bye. Bye. Say you love me. Love you. I love you.